God's grace, God's mercy, and God's peace are yours from God our Father and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think that most of us, we want to have a fulfilling life, right? Most of us in the room, we would say that we really want to live. But I think that many of us, at times, we're confused about what it looks like to really live. And at the very least, the messages from the world are confusing and speak to us and teach us how you should live. And from the broken parts of our own hearts and our own selves and our lives, in many ways, those parts deceive us about what it means to really live life, to have a life. And right now, we're living in times in our culture pastor back in 1968 said it this way. He said, we are living in these powerful days, in these days of challenge. And in many ways, I think we could take those words from back then and apply them today. I think of North Korea and the nuclear chest bumping that's going on. I think of London and the terrorist attacks and all those terrorist attacks we've seen and heard of and experienced. 9-11, just recently this past Monday. We remember back, these are powerful days, these are days of challenge. I think of the natural disasters, the raging waters of Harvey and Irma, and people that we know and love and dear. Our own Pastor Chris Singer over there in Houston lost his home. I think of the raging fires of the Northwest, these are powerful days, these are days of challenge. I think of the political angst in our country today, I think of the racial tensions highlighted by Charlottesville and by St. Louis and a whole host of other things. These are powerful days. These are days of challenge. The controversy and the heat-inducing debate about DACA and about immigration and a whole host of things about what does it mean to love our neighbors. These are powerful days. These are days of challenge. And I could keep on going down the list, right? How are we as God's people, to live in the midst of all this, to live, not just to get by, not just to survive, but to live. What's God's will for our lives? Last week, we saw Jesus. He boiled it all down to basically the entire law. He boiled down to basically one word, and that one word was love. But he directed that love in two directions. First, we love God, and then we love our neighbors. Remember, I brought out my pocket version of the Ten Commandments, okay? This is the stone version I carry around with me, right? Boil down the Ten Commandments down into two things. The first three are about love God, and the rest are about loving our neighbor. It boils down to that. Love God and love neighbor. Love up, love out. Love vertical, love horizontal. That is God's will for our lives. Last week we saw, Matthew chapter 22, we saw this expert in the law come up to kind of challenge Jesus, This week in Luke chapter 10, we see the same thing. Someone challenging Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It's in your bulletin. It's up on the screen. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, a rabbi, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you remember last week, the question was, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? But this week, it's what must he do to inherit eternal life? Both those guys were trying to usurp Jesus, trying to challenge Jesus. But Jesus, like he does, since he's God, he knows what he's doing, right? Verse 26, he turns it around. He says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? 
When he was saying that, he may have been very well setting up this expert in the law because uh, faithful Jews, twice a day, would, they would read the Shema, the hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And that's what he answers. In verse 27, it says this. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Faithful Jews would recite that two times a day. They would read that. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the whole love God thing with your entire being, we really unpacked that last week. This week, we're moving into love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to take some time to look at that. And, you know, some people, they look at that love your neighbor as yourself, and they sort of take that to the extreme. They say, oh, yeah, there, there it is. First, we have to love ourselves. I mean, we've got to fall in love with ourselves, right? We've got to pour all this stuff into ourselves. And there's some truth to that. You've got to have a healthy view of yourself. God created you. He sent his son Jesus to redeem you. There's an image of self. We're creating the image of God. But I'm telling you that most of us don't have a problem loving ourselves, right? How many of you ate, fed yourself breakfast today? All right? Okay, how many of you are going to eat today? Raise your hand if you're going to feed yourself food today, okay? How many of you had water yesterday? How many of you drink water every day of your lives? Right. How, I mean, we can keep raising our hands, but how many of you put on clothes every day? How many of you sleep in a bed, in a home? You find a way Maybe even, even if you're homeless, you find a way to sleep somewhere in shelter and take care of yourself. If you're sick, you go to a doctor. You take medicine. I'm guessing all of us would answer yes to those sort of questions. And because we say yes to that, it means that we love ourselves. We do things to take care of ourselves. We make sure that our needs are met. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, love your neighbor as you already love yourself. It's important to see that we got two directions here, right? What does it mean to be devoted to God? To be devoted to God means you, have to, you love God and you love your neighbor, right? It's, it's impossible to love God and hate your neighbor. And you can't love your neighbor and hate God. To really experience love and to truly love, it's a unified whole. One of our theologians, Martin Franzman, he said it this way. He said, there's a whole love for God and there's a whole love for man. And it's in an unbroken unity. And so this expert in the law, he's sort of getting it right. And so in Luke chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, he said, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. And then he says, do this and you will live. Do this and you shall live. Jesus is talking to him about living here. He asked about the future. He asked about eternal life. And Jesus kind of brings it back into the here and now. And he's kind of saying, do you really want to live? Do you want to feel what it means to be alive? I think all of us would answer yes to that. And Jesus says, do. He didn't say feel. He said do. And just like that famous prophet of our times, John Mayer, says, love is a verb, right? All right, I'm not going to sing it for you, okay? But back in the text, 10 verse 29, love is a verb. But the, the expert in the law, he's kind of going back to Jesus, and he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And so he's seeking clarification so that he could be confident of his own good works. Because, you see, back in Jesus' day, the Jewish people often would define neighbor as only those who are part of the covenant, only those who are Jewish. They would, because loving your neighbor is a hard thing, right? Loving every human being is difficult. And so why not just change the rules and redefine who our neighbor is? So then we could maybe feel confident in ourselves and maybe we can achieve something and maybe we wouldn't need to rely on God. 
And so when the Jewish people do this, when the expert in the law is kind of asking this, he's attempting to say that there is such a thing as a person out there who is not a neighbor. That people exist in the world, that there are certain people that are a subspecies or a thing that can be ignored. And that's when we see that this discussion that Jesus is having with this expert in the law, it turns not into a discussion, but it turns into a confrontation, not only of this expert in the law, but of the Jewish leadership and Judaism as a whole and all of humanity as a whole. And then Jesus speaks one of the powerful words, one of the most well-known parables, not only in the history of Christianity, but in the entire world. John, or Luke chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus replied. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Anybody ever done that road before? The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is uh, 17 miles long. It's an elevation drop about 3,500 feet. It's windy and twisty. It goes through the desert wilderness. There are caves hidden around there where robbers and terrorists could hide. It's dangerous. And so this man was going down that road when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Then in verse 31, we see that a priest, the priest was a man of God. The priest was the guy that served in the temple. The priest was like, pastor guy. Oh, man, he's going to do something good, right? He's close to God. He represents all piety. So what does he do? He's going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Luke 10, verse 32, so to a Levite, Levite was basically an assistant to the priest. Maybe this guy's going to help. But when he came by to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so it's clear at this point that Jesus is kind of confronting some things, isn't he? Jesus is basically indicting the Jewish leadership at the time. Who is really going to help this man in need? And so the expert in the law is listening to Jesus tell this story. He can see Jesus challenging the leadership, but maybe what he's going to do, the next guy, maybe he's going to be an Israelite, a lay person. Maybe he's going to elevate the people above the aristocracy. The people are going to stand up for truth. But Jesus doesn't do that like Jesus does. He, he gets to the heart of the matter. He challenges our culture. He challenges leadership. He challenges and wants you to get down to what really matters. Then verse 33, we see a Samaritan. A Samaritan. Now, if you don't remember, the Samaritans were disrespected by the Jewish people. The Jewish people viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds, as unclean, people to be avoided. I don't know if you remember we talking about it. The, Samaritan, or the Samaritans were like the people that lived in uh, San Clemente, right? So if we, <laughs> wanted to go, if we wanted to go down to San Diego and we were Jewish people, we wouldn't take straight down the five because we didn't want to go through San Clemente. We didn't want to go through where the Samaritans live. We would go out all the way to the Inland Empire, drive down the 15, and then cut a back cross to San Diego because we didn't want to go through there. That's how the Jewish people were with the Samaritans. They did not want to go where they were. They were a subspecies. They were a thing to be ignored. And so when Jesus throws in this here, a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He had, a better translation is he had compassion on this man. And it wasn't just a feeling. He did something. Verse 34 says what he did. 
He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil, oil would soothe, and wine, wine would disinfect, and then he put the man on his own donkey, he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him, verse 35. The next day, he took out two denarii. Two denarii was basically enough for room and board for 24 days. So, I don't know, embassy suites for 24 days, what's that? Four grand or something like that? It's a a chunk of change. He's taking this money out. He gave it to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then in verse 36, Jesus turns back to this expert in the law. And he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Verse 30, the ex- 37, the expert in the law replied. He couldn't even say the Samaritan, Right? He didn't want to admit. He didn't want to concede that. So he says, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. And we see in this account, the Good Samaritan, we've all heard the Good Samaritan before, right? I mean, it's, there are laws written about the Good Samaritan, right? We see Jesus leading us to God's will here in these words. He, we see Jesus leading us to what does it really mean to live, to have a full life, to experience life. It's simple. Love God and love your neighbor. But what does it actually mean to love God and to love our neighbor in these powerful days, these days of challenge that we live in? I mean, perhaps we could go back to 1968. There was a huge conflict that arose in our country over the poor treatment of the sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee. You may know the story. Those workers were African Americans. They were black, and they were essentially abused and neglected by the city, by the government, because of their race. And two men were killed because of it. It was institutional racism, and it infiltrated the culture. And the night before he was assassinated, Martin Luther King Jr., he spoke in Memphis, Tennessee, to a bunch of pastors and leaders over this fight for racial equality, this desire to love our neighbor as ourselves. In the midst of the racial tension, the fight for racial equality that was surging in our nation. And instead of me telling you, why don't we listen to Martin Luther King? And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to my job? Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office every day and every week as a pastor? The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. Let us rise up tonight with a greater readiness. 
Let us stand with a greater determination and let us move on. In these powerful days, these days of challenge to make America what it ought to be, we have an opportunity to make America a better nation. Amen. I encourage you to go listen to that whole 45-minute speech. Go read it. It's awesome. It's powerful. The night before Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Much of Judaism was racist against the Samaritans. Like many people in the United States of America, in Memphis and the U.S. back in the 60s were racist against black people. We've come a long way, but we've got a long way to go. Both groups viewed another race, another group of people as inferior. And 2,000 years ago with Jesus, that evil could not stand. It could not stand with Jesus. And that's why Jesus told this story. That's why Jesus told this parable. That's why this, this parable is so well known throughout the history of the world. Jesus calls us to live. And that living, that life involves loving God with all of our heart, with our entire being. It means loving every human being, everyone that God has created. And so this text, it calls us to look honestly at ourselves. It calls us to say, who are we pointing our fingers at? Who are we considering beneath us? Maybe it's a matter of race. Maybe it's a matter of nationality or color or gender or social status or economic status or education level or whatever. Jesus is calling us to take an honest inventory of our hearts, to see the dark parts of our hearts, and to realize who are the people that we're pointing at? Who are the people that we are saying are non-neighbors? Who are the people that we are saying are things or a subspecies and don't really deserve to have the love of God through our lives? And when you do take an honest inventory like that of yourself, you realize that you need a radical love to help you get beyond yourself and to be a neighbor to anyone in need. Martin Luther King Jr.'s words, they are are profound. He flips it around, right? What will happen to the man on the Jericho Road if I do not help him? Martin Luther King also said in that speech, he said this, he said, let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. I was thinking about those two words, and I was thinking about dangerous unselfishness. I was thinking about God loving us with all of his being. God loving us when he sent his son Jesus. And man, it was dangerous. And as he hung on the cross, it was completely unselfish and it was pure love for neighbor. And God didn't say, what will happen to me? What will happen to my son if we try to help them? He said, if I don't send my son, I'm going to lose them forever. That is radical, dangerous, unselfish love, and it guides us today. It calls us to this very room. It's why we are gathered together as God's people this morning, and it pushes us, empowers us to love God. 
with our entire being and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love those in our lives who are in need. And so this week, my friends, I know that God is going to give you an opportunity to love someone in your life, to love a neighbor in your life who is in need. Maybe it's going to be a homeless person. Maybe it's going to be a coworker. Maybe it's going to be your boss. Maybe it's going to be someone in your life group. Maybe it's going to be your actual neighbor. And by the way, if you don't know the names of your neighbors, that's your homework assignment. You have to know who your neighbors are. You do. Sometimes it's our actual neighbors. Maybe it's a family friend. Maybe it's a friend that you've known for a long time. Maybe it's a fellow parent in your kid's class. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's some nasty Samaritan. Jesus calls us to live. He wants us to live, to really experience life. And to do that, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, do this and you will live.